Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 709 for Sunday, September 25th, 2022. On WaveScan today, the saga of Radio Antwerp. More of my interview with Glenn Tapley and George Ross at the HFCC conference in Sofia, Bulgaria. And our Australian DX report. Well, during the 1920s and 1930s, a multitude of small radio broadcasting stations, some formal, though most were informal, took to the air throughout Belgium, rather like what was happening in many other countries throughout the world. The stations in Belgium were installed in private homes, business locations, church buildings, and even out in the fields, wherever it was convenient. Ray Robinson has more on the saga of Radio Antwerp. Thanks, Jeff. Back during that era, most of those radio broadcasting stations were unlicensed and therefore considered to be illegal according to Belgian law. In fact, in an endeavour to reduce nationwide chaos on the radio spectrum, the Belgian government shut down 37 of the unlicensed stations in 1932, though some of them did seem to pop up again in different locations. However, at that stage, legal stations that had some form of government papers were permitted to continue in service. During 1922, very early in the radio broadcasting scene, Georges de Calway launched a radio broadcasting station at a regional location in the city of Antwerp, which he named appropriately as Radio Antwerpen, Radio Antwerp. In due course, he obtained the normal license from the government licensing agency and he was granted the call sign EB4ED. That call sign, EB4ED, seemed to indicate that his radio station was an amateur operation only, though in reality the license he received was indeed a radio program broadcasting license. When the international prefix for radio stations in Belgium was changed from EB to ON, the official call sign for Radio Antwerpen was changed from EB4ED to ON4ED. However, Radio Antwerpen became known popularly as Radio Kerske, Radio Little Church, because the antenna was installed in the steeple of a church. Initially, Radio Antwerpen operated with 100 watts on 265.5 metres, 1130 kHz, though around the turn of the decade, 1930, the approved operating frequency was changed to 1460 and then 1465 kHz. The programming from Radio Antwerpen consisted of recorded and live music, news and information, all of which was popular in Belgium and beyond. Reception reports were received from grateful listeners within Belgium, as well as from nearby countries in continental Europe and from England. Sometime during the 1930s, Mr A. R. Lacey on Monrad Street in Palmerston North in New Zealand heard the low-powered medium-wave Radio Antwerpen in Belgium and he received a QSL response from the station. He'd been DXing for a period of eight years, and he considered the Radio Antwerpen QSL as one of his very best ever. Soon after World War II began in 1939, 
The Belgian government required Radio Antwerpen and other stations also to take a programme relay from the government radio broadcasting service in Brussels. However, soon afterwards, Georges de Calway deliberately destroyed his radio equipment in May 1940, ahead of the advancing German army. But then, as opportunity provided, Calloway began quietly to construct new radio equipment, which he activated soon after Belgium began to return to some form of normality after the end of the war. The Belgian government reluctantly permitted Radio Antwerpen to return to the air, based upon its pre-war licence. At the same time, three other pre-war stations were permitted to return to the air based on their pre-war licences, and these were located in Ghent, Courtal and Hasselt-Limburg. They were, though, limited to a maximum power of 200 watts on either 1465 or 1483 kHz, and they were required to relay some of the government programming during their broadcast day. On August 31, 1948, Radio Antwerpen was closed by government order, and the radio equipment was confiscated. In the meantime, Belgium planned on nationwide radio coverage from its own radio broadcasting stations on 620 kHz and 926 kHz with 20 kW each, and subsequently with 150 kW. During the next seven years, Callaway attempted to obtain a new broadcasting licence, but without success. He then launched his own land-based pirate radio station in 1955, though that was shut down by the government a few days later. In the late 1950s and early 1960s, offshore so-called pirate stations began to pop up on ships and artificial structures in international waters off the coasts of Denmark, Sweden and the Netherlands. Georges de Calloway saw this as an opportunity to get back on the air, and he bought a concrete French ship from the World War I era and loaded it with radio equipment. The ship was originally named Crocodile, though Calloway renamed it Eulenspiegel, meaning Owl Mirror, in honour of an old Belgian folk hero. He also established a land-based recording studio at Nervierstraat in Antwerp. On Friday, October 12, 1962, test broadcasts began from the Eulenspiegel at sea off the coast of Belgium, with a 10 kilowatt medium wave transmitter on 201 meters, 1492 kilohertz. This is Radio Antwerpen van op het schip Eulenspiegel op de Noordzee, de zender waar u naar luistert. The choice of 201 metres was strategically squeezed between two government stations, the French-language Brussels 4 on 202 metres and the Flemish-language Brussels 3 on 198 metres. Three days later, a regular programming schedule was introduced from 7am to 12 midnight local time with a light music format that also included some news and information. In November 1962, Callaway added a shortwave transmitter, perhaps a piece of amateur equipment, which began relaying the medium wave programming just above the 41 meter band on 7600 kHz. Reception reports indicated wide area coverage, even as far as Canada. Here is Radio Antwerpen van op het schip Eulenspiegel op de Noordzee, de zender waar u naar luistert. Vanuit taverne van IJswijk de Antwerpen luisteren we naar het kwartet van Harry de Klerk. De presentatie geschiet door Rudy Witt. 
zijn als medewerkers hebben wij Jenny Durand, zangeres, Jos Marion aan de piano en accordeon, Bob de Boek in slagwerk, Rudy Wit, clarinet, sax en zang, en de leider Harry de Klerk speelt vibrafoon en accordeon. However, the end was near. Winter storms in November damaged the ship and its equipment, and the Belgian government passed legislation against support for unlicensed offshore radio stations, which went into effect in the December. The crew were rescued from the stricken ship by a lifeboat and a tugboat, but the ship itself ran ashore on the coast just north of the border with Holland. Many years later, the Dutch authorities blew up the ship and covered the debris with sand. At the end of his 40-year, mainly unsuccessful radio saga, Georges de Calloway died in hospital after major surgery. His death occurred at the same time as his radio ship, the crocodile Eulenspiegel, was damaged and destroyed in the winter storms of the year 1962. Back to you, Jeff. Thank you very much, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles for that very interesting story about Radio Antwerp. Well, last week we had the first part of the conversation I recorded at the recent HSCC B-22 Shortwave Frequency Coordination Conference in Sofia, Bulgaria, with Glenn Tapley of WEWN in Birmingham, Alabama, and George Ross of Transworld Radio. We ended last week by mentioning two of the major problems that shortwave stations worldwide are facing right now the unavailability and high cost of tubes and other spare parts for transmitters, and the extreme increases in the cost of electricity to power them. And and the electrical costs, of course, have gone way up uh, because of the part because of the war in Ukraine and the energy problems here in uh, in Europe. But we're seeing that in the States, too. Uh, electrical costs are going up before the war in Europe, I, I know in Florida. And uh, so... One of the things that was discussed at the, this group of experts meeting was um, it, it seems to me like a lot of stations are, in order to continue being able to operate without huge cuts in schedule and so on, uh, the, the, uh, the big, you know, the primary solution they have found is to reduce power. That is one of the major items, yes. And, and have you done any of that, Glenn? <clears throat> when we went on, you know, we have a capability of 500 kilowatts. And so uh, the maximum that we use right now is 250. And when we can get away with it, uh, we'll reduce that power. We don't need that for Cuba, for instance, and, and down in that area. So we'll do 100 kilowatts down there. Well, in fact, Ray Robinson tells us that the increasing cost of electricity has caused KVOH shortwave in Los Angeles to significantly reduce its hours as of a week ago. Yes, hi again, Jeff. If I can just chime in on that topic, because it has directly impacted KVOH. You know, here in California, electricity rates for commercial users have more than doubled in the last year. And for a small station like KVOH, this situation has become unsustainable. Something had to give. So, reluctantly, we've taken the decision to reduce our broadcast hours. And with effect from last weekend, we're now on 9975 kHz shortwave during Western Hemisphere Friday, Saturday and Sunday evenings only. We're on from 5 to 10 p.m. Pacific, which currently equates to midnight to 0500 UTC, Saturday, Sunday and Monday. 
This has impacted the timing of the WaveScan program, which is now aired at 5pm Pacific on Sundays or midnight UTC Mondays, with a repeat five hours later at 0500 UTC on our web stream only. All those times will be adjusted one UTC hour later when North America moves back to standard time on the 6th of November. Our shortwave broadcasts will now be all in English, apart from one program on Saturdays, Frequencia al Dia, which continues at the same time as previously. There's a full revised schedule on our website at www.voiceofhope.com. Voice of Hope Africa broadcasts are unaffected by this change. They'll continue as before. Thanks, Ray. George, are there any other things that stations are doing besides cutting broadcast hours and reducing power? Uh, one item that we've found that's helped us a lot from when we initially put in our new higher power transmitters as well is we implemented dynamic carrier control for our transmitters. Thereby, you cut your power consumption so that you're using it primarily when you have the audio going out over the air. Mm-hmm. So that, that can actually save quite a bit of money. Huh, interesting. Um, yeah, because one of the points that was made was that uh, uh, this this problem of uh, increasing costs and, and problems with tubes and so on is occurring at a time when we have the pandemic, we have the uh, the, the war, and just other developments uh, going on in the world that have actually increased uh, interest in shortwave listening. We we all know that, right? Yes, and I think you mentioned it really well in the opening plenary, Jeff, but um, where there's a crisis in the world, I know our CEO, uh, Lauren Libby, has said the same thing. Where there's a crisis, we're there. And that's the nice thing about shortwave broadcasting is we can get beyond boundaries, beyond conflicts, beyond whatever's going on to reach people who are really looking to hear a good, familiar voice during these times. We had a representative here from the uh, International Telecommunication Union. They uh, often attend these meetings, and uh, and he was talking about some new um, software that's coming along for uh, um, because stations not only need to report their frequency schedules to the HFCC, but also to the ITU. Right? That is correct. Yes, and he. Uh had a demonstration um, and uh, and showed us where we can streamline that effort in reporting to the ITU. And we had we we, we had some discussions about upcoming uh, HFCC conferences. Uh, the next one will be in February, February fifth to ninth, in Tunis, uh, Tunisia, hosted by the Arab States Broadcasting Union. And we've we've had several conferences there in the past, right? Yes, I've been to three conferences there in Tunis, actually. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, it's it's quite an interesting place. It really is. And this will be... uh, but, but this will be the first time at the new Asbu Hotel. Asbu is the yes. Arab States Broadcasting Union, and they um, they are building, they have built, I guess, their, their own hotel, and we're going to uh, have our first conference there. <laughs> that will be a lot easier for traveling. I know, you know, the first couple conferences there, it was quite a distance from the airport and from the center of Tunisia itself, where here we'll be right next to the Asbu um center and make it very easy for people to get there and back. Uh, then uh, also next year, there's the B conference, uh, the B season conference, 
and that has been defined now to uh, take place in a place called Surfer's Paradise. It's um, about an hour south of uh, Brisbane in Australia. And this will be our second HFCC conference in, in Australia. Uh, the first one was in 2015 in, in the city of, uh, of Brisbane. Uh, were you there, Glenn? I was. Okay. Yeah, that was very interesting, and uh, kangaroos and the whole bit, you know. <laughs> so it was it was a good conference in in Australia. Brisbane is a nice city, and I appreciate that. And the Surfers Paradise should be really nice. Thirty years ago, I would have gone out with a board and, and, and gave it my best, but uh, these days I'll be lucky to get into knee deep water. So <laughs> looking forward to the looking forward to that that trip. Then. Well, it's um, uh, at the time of year that we're going, it's probably not the best time for beach weather, <laughs> but, uh, but it'll look nice anyway. <laughs> uh, it's uh, along the coast of, uh, obviously, of, of Australia, um, and on the way from uh, Brisbane down to uh, Sydney, because that will be in the... Uh, on, in the last week of August, oh, so right. it's so going it's to be winter season. Little, there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but but anyway, uh, there'll be a beautiful view of the beach. <laughs> so for us scuba divers, it may be a little cold. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, Jeff, as I'm thinking about the group of experts meeting, something that is very indicative of us being able to meet together is not only do we coordinate frequencies, which is our primary purpose here, but in these meetings engineering uh, folks of our different organizations can get together and and discuss and work through some issues that can really benefit each one of us as we go back and, and look at our next schedules. And as you've already mentioned, this situation that we're now facing with different components and parts that we need for transmitters, it's amazing when you think of people coming from all these different locations around the world we can sit around this table we're at right now and work with each other to assist fellow broadcasters to stay on the air. A few new members were, mel- were welcomed to the HFCC at the final plenary. Uh, Ampagon Power Electronics, which uh, we mentioned is a big transmitter uh, manufacturer, uh, but they were bought out by another company and now they've rejoined under another name. Uh, and also the Hellenic Radio Television from Greece, ERT, which um, also the membership lapsed or something, and they, they rejoined now. And we hope, we hope that they, they stay on the air because it's been kind of iffy uh, recently uh, for Greece. Also uh, a station called Mike Radio, one of the smaller uh, stations in the Netherlands, and which, of which there seem to be a number right now, uh, has also joined. Um, we ended the uh, final plenary uh, on Thursday, the 25th, I think, um, of August, uh, with a, sort of a remembrance of, uh, of, of our colleague Jerry Plummer from uh, WWCR and uh, uh, a little bit of a, a biography of him. And, and we actually had... Um, Jerry's longtime girlfriend, Lynn, and Brady Murray, his friend from WWCR, uh, where he works, and also um, uh, Tom Lucy from the U.S. Federal Communications Commission, all very good friends, uh, were able to join via, via Zoom mm-hmm. for that little session. Yeah, yeah that's right. The, the, um, 
so glad they had the opportunity to be a part of that uh, presentation of the Oldridge Chip Award uh, to Jerry. And, um, and uh, I've got the award. I'll make sure that they get it in, in quick order, and, uh, and I'm sure it means a lot to them. Yeah, it's, a, it's an award that was, it's the reason it's called Oldrich Chip is because Oldrich was the founder of the uh, HFCC back in um, 1989 or something. And uh, uh, when, when he passed away a few years ago, uh, we made the first Oldrich Chip Award uh, to him posthumously. And now uh, the HFCC presented the, uh, the Oldrich Chip Award to... Uh, to, to Jerry Plummer uh, posthumously as well. And uh, there was, it was a, a nice little ceremony. It sure was. So uh, that takes us to the end of uh, <laughs> HSEC B22. Um, I hope we'll all be together again in Tunis uh, in February uh, to do this again and see what what progress, if any, has been made on uh, some of these topics that we've discussed. Thank you all for uh, being here, George and, and Glenn. And uh, Thank you, Jeff. appreciate okay. the opportunity to speak with you and everybody um, that listens in on WaveScan. Thank you, George. Yeah, it's also a privilege, Jeff, to be able to get together again here and to know that this program is going to go out and meet a lot of the listeners through a few of our stations here. I was speaking there with Glenn Tapley of WEWN and George Ross of Transworld Radio at the HFCC B-22 conference in Sofia, Bulgaria. By the way, we gathered some interesting information at the conference about things going on at shortwave stations. For example, we found that the shortwave transmitters at WHRI in South Carolina have been scrapped following that station's shutdown and failure of the sale of WHRI to WBCQ or any other buyer. The large transmitter tubes in those transmitters were sold back to the iMac manufacturer before the transmitters were scrapped. We also spoke with a representative of Algerian Radio at the meeting in Sofia. She confirmed that their relay contract with Télédiffusion de France ended on September 20th, just a few days ago. And all broadcasts are now going out from their own shortwave facilities in Algeria that had been under construction for several years now. She confirmed that they were testing a new 300-kilowatt transmitter at each of two new transmission sites in eastern and western Algeria. They're transmitting primarily to the Sahel region of northern Africa in Arabic. Other languages may be added later on, including possibly French and English. Now let's go to Bob Padula in Melbourne, Australia. Welcome to another edition of the Australian DX Report. This is Bob Padula in Melbourne, Australia, bringing to you our latest roundup of news concerning shortwave broadcasting stations around the world. We begin our program this time with some information of interest to listeners in Europe. We have some notes from the Bulgarian organisation, online organisation known as SWL, DX Bulgaria News and DX Mix. So these stations noted mainly during the daylight trans, daylight reception period in Eastern Europe. 
Transworld Radio, TWR India, broadcasting in Mundari on 13690 by the Yerevan Relay Station in Armenia. 13.15 to 13.30 with 300 kilowatts and the antenna at 100 degrees intended for Southern Asia. This program is on the air Mondays and Tuesdays. Another station of TWR India broadcasting in Urdu on 13.690 also via Yerevan between 1500 and 1530 300 kilowatts and 100 degrees antenna to South Asia programs are Urdu. Brazil, which helps the Radio Nacional de Amazonia in Portuguese on 11780 via Brasilia. 1110 onwards with 250 kilowatts and the antenna 360 degrees in Portuguese. The antenna is actually intended to support broadcast primarily to Brazil. Reception of the Oromia public media Radio Yoni 3 on 15415 so that's a brokered realisation brokered broadcast by Isidun in France 1600 to 1630 with 500 kilowatts and the antenna 127 degrees to East Africa in Oromo and another frequency for Transworld Radio India in the Uyghur language on 11590 via the relay station at Aganya in Guam, that's KTWR, 1400 to 1428, 350 kilowatts and the antenna 305 degrees and very good reception in Europe Mondays to Thursdays. And yet another frequency for Transworld Radio India in Kazakh on 11790 via KTWR relay 1430 to 1445, 250 kilowatts and 305 degrees to Central Asia. Thank you, Bob. We end Wayscare today with a chant sung by Neophyte, the Patriarch of All Bulgaria and Head of the Bulgarian Orthodox Church since 2013. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, the first radio broadcasting station in New Zealand celebrates 100 years. We'll have more from the HFCC in Sofia, Bulgaria, and our Japan DX report. WaveScan is heard weekly on KSDA in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, KVOH in Los Angeles, Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. 
I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone. Jesus.